2 Timothy chapter 3. A quick show of hands. How many of you are Atlas people? You carry in your car a, an Atlas or paper maps. Don't be ashamed. How many of you are those types of people? Yeah. Look, you've got to be proud of that because you are few and far between. Take note of the weirdos around you, everyone else. Good for you. I'm joking, very much joking. I, I'm, I'm convictionally not a paper map type of person. I just feel like it's 2019. We don't have jetpacks yet, and so a suitable substitute is GPS on our phones. Uh, my father-in-law, on the other hand, is a hardcore paper map atlas type of man. Uh, and he also has a smartphone, but he's atlases and paper maps uh, all the way through. And I feel like I've got the upper hand on him, especially in, in moments of crisis, perhaps when I'm driving, because my phone can tell me right away where to turn, what to do, all of that, whereas he just has his paper map. But there have been a couple of times where technology has let me down. Uh, either my phone battery has died, or I just lost signal altogether. And in those moments, I have no clue how I'm... I know where I'm going, I just don't know how I'm going to get there and somewhere over the horizon, I hear my father-in-law cackle. And I just know there's some wisdom there. Uh, man, it can be a panicky thing when you don't know where you're going. You don't know the way to get through to the place that you're going to. When you're driving, that's one sort of panic. But when it's life, it's a different type of concern altogether. It is a really scary thing to roll through life blind without direction, without guidance. And don't we need that? Don't we need guidance? In every area of our lives, we need help and direction. Uh, Whether it's work or play or finances or parenting or singlehood or marriage, whatever it is, we need guidance for all these things. And where can we get that? Well, we have it. We have the guidance, the direction that you and I need to get through everyday life, and that comes in the Bible. The Bible is our indispensable tool, guide, voice of God to direct us through life. But it's hard to understand. It can be boring to read. Uh, it's, uh, I just don't have time to spend in it. We've got all these types of reasons why we set the Bible aside. We treat it as secondary to the rest of our really important and busy lives. Or when we do crack it open, maybe we just treat it like a magic eight ball. We ask a question, flip to a verse, and hope that it works out for us. But what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? We want to be people who are self-feeding when it comes to God's Word. We want to be the kind of church that's full of self-feeding Christians, not solely reliant on someone else teaching and not solely reliant on inspirational quotes on social media and things like that. We want to be people who are capable to sit down with the Bible open, to dive deep into it, and to make sense of it. What if we could be those kinds of people? What if we could interact with the Bible in such a way that it transformed our lives? What if we knew how to study it and how to understand it and how to use it in conversations with other people? Well, that's where Paul, our author, takes Timothy today in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you've come to grow in your affection for Timothy as we've walked through this study. 
Because that poor guy, just he gets it from every side. Every time he turns around, here's this faithful servant in the church who faces opposition after opposition. From 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy is a matter of several years. And when we get into 2 Timothy, haven't we seen that he's still facing serious opposition, false teachers who are targeting him and targeting the gospel and who are making personal attacks against him. And so in this letter, as we've walked through it, we've seen Paul provide some really profound encouragement for Timothy. 2 Timothy is a book for beleaguered Christians, beat-up Christians. In chapter 1 and into chapter 2, Paul encourages Timothy to suffer, endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. But when you get into chapter, uh, end of chapter 2, start of chapter 3, he encourages Timothy not to fight the way his opponents fight him, but instead to focus on his holiness and to extend the gospel to them. Chapter 3, last week, Pastor Steve preached it to you. Paul continues to encourage Timothy, and he says, look, don't be surprised when people continue to live in crazy ways, pursuing sin. It's going to get worse and worse, but don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Follow my example. And today, Paul once again gives incredible encouragement to Timothy and to us. So for anyone in here who comes in with difficulties or temptation or struggles of any kind, or a heartbeat, Paul is talking to you today as he gives you the Word of God to guide and encourage and to strengthen you. So my goal in preaching this passage today is I want to encourage you to be an everyday Bible reader. I want to encourage you to be an everyday Bible reader. And why would you do such a thing? Well, Paul gives us two reasons in this passage why the Bible should be the very center of our lives. So I want you to follow along with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read to chapter 4, verse 4. Keep in mind Timothy's difficulties, all the challenges he's been facing, and listen to what Paul says to him and to you. Paul says, chapter 3, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned And firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So the Bible is to be the centerpiece of our lives. And in this passage, Paul gives Timothy and gives us two reasons why that is so. If I were to break out this passage into a really simple structure, I would take the end of chapter 3 as part 1. 
I would take those first four verses of chapter four as part two, and that's how we're going to approach it this morning. So why should the Bible be at the very center of your life? Let me show you these two reasons from Paul. The first reason is this, the Bible is a guide for every day. Why should I have the Bible at the center of my life so that daily I'm in it, daily I'm reading, and I'm regularly studying? Because it's a guide for every day. And so Paul has a command to Timothy that sets the tone for the end of chapter 3. That command is found in verse 14. Look at it with me. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Now, previously, Paul has described how the, the world outside the faith is going to go. It's chaos. People living for their flesh. It's relational destruction. That's what others will do. But as for you, Timothy, regardless of what goes on outside, regardless of what your opponents say and do, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Timothy's been in this setting for years, as I mentioned. He's been facing this opposition all the time. And I think there's something good there for you and I to see and to remember that God's most faithful servants throughout Scripture, even they face really serious hardship. A lot of times you and I, when, we, when, when life puts us in the vice, we'll stop and think, why is this happening to me? It seems like less honorable people are having better things happen to them. Things are going their way. It's not going my way. Why is this happening And then when we sit down and we see that Timothy, Timothy faced garbage day after day. He was in a hard assignment. And Paul's promise to him is not, hey, Jesus is going to take that away. But Paul's promise is, you're going to make it through. You're going to endure this. You walk with Christ. He's going to hold you all the way through this difficulty that you're facing. That's the same promise to us today. You might need to hear that. Walking with Jesus doesn't mean we're going to be inoculated from suffering and hardship, but it means when those hard days come, we've got a victor who leads us all the way through. It's not a question as to whether or not our suffering has a shelf life. The question is just how quickly do we get to glory? And that's where he takes his children all the way through. So how should Timothy respond? As the hard times continue, as the bad guys continue their attacks on him, what should he continue in? Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. What is it that Timothy's learned? Well, he's learned the sacred scriptures according to verse 15. He's learned the Bible. And, and it's important to note, what Bible did Timothy learn? Well, he, his Bible was what we call the Old Testament. The New Testament is not yet gathered and completed at the time of this writing. And so it's the Old Testament that has been for Timothy the wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, another important note for us to remember that all the Bible points to faith in Jesus Christ as the trajectory for our salvation All the Bible is profitable for this to give us the gospel and to point us to Christ. Paul tells Timothy, from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures and you've known who taught you those sacred scriptures. And who taught Timothy? Who have been his teachers? 
Well, you know that Paul's been a teacher to him for sure. But remember back in chapter 1, early in chapter 1, Paul is pumping Timothy full of encouragement. And he says, remember those who've invested in you, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Remember who from infancy has put the word of God in you. Hey, real quick, moms and dads of little kids, grandmas and grandpas of little grandkids, do not underestimate the power of putting the word of God in the ears of your child from their first moments. There's some weird theological practices where some people would say, eh, kids, who can really know if a kid can be converted? And so why would we put so much effort into this type of stuff at such a young age? Let's wait till they're older and then we'll really get the gospel in them. I want to follow Lois and Eunice. And I want to put the word of God in my kids at the earliest opportunity and at every opportunity that it would plant a gospel seed that would flourish and blossom as they grow. That they would call on those memories and those stories from their childhood to help guide them in their adulthood. Give your kids the gospel without reservation. Lois and Eunice, incredible examples for the church today for us to follow. So here's Timothy. Paul says, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and believed. Continue in the word of God. No matter the pressure, no matter the crisis, continue to live your life according to the word of God. Do you live by that conviction? Is it settled in your life that no matter what I face, I'm going to be found in the word of God? Not just believing some ethereal thing, whatever, but the phone call comes and I've got to quit reading my Bible to answer the phone. The door knocks, there's the issue that arises, I'm going to be found in the Word of God. Is that a conviction that you live by? Why would you live by that kind of conviction? Why is the Bible so special that we'd make it the centerpiece of our daily lives? Well, Paul answers that question in verses 16 and 17. Look at them with me. He tells Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what is it that makes the Bible so special? This, why would I make this a, a practical part of everyday life? Well, first and foremost, it's inspired by God. This book has God as its source. God gave us these words through human personality. All the authors that compiled this, they do so under the inspiration and the leading of God. This is God's word once spoken and still speaking. So when I read these words, I'm hearing the voice of God. And I can't imagine a day in my life when I would be okay or even better off not hearing the voice of God. Can't imagine a day in my life when I would wake up and say, mm, I got this one. <laughs> you, God, you take the day off. Go someplace else. I'll take care of this today. I don't have that in me. I, I don't think you do either. So if this is the inspired word of God, that God the creator, God the eternal one, God the one who invented me and made me, if this is his word, it came from him for me, then, then I want to make it a priority in my everyday life. God gave us this word so that we would know who he is. That he's a loving and compassionate creator God. He gave us this word so we would know who we are. 
we're his special creation, but we've broken the relationship with him through our sin. He gave us his word so we would know the solution to these things, that God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he died in our place for our sin and rose from the dead, and that by faith in him, we can be forgiven and saved from our sins and given eternal life. This book gives us all of those things. So it's vital that you and I would be the kind of people who would regularly eat the words of God, that we would get in front of this inspired word and make it a part of our everyday life. You brush your teeth twice a day. I hope you do anyways, at least twice a day. You, you take care of your hygiene. You eat some food. You drink some coffee. You might drink some water. And the word of God has got to be a regular everyday part of our lives because this is God speaking into us. It's inspired by God and it's profitable. That's what he says in verse 16, profitable. It's useful, practical for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work. So if you approach Bible study with sort of this face, because it's hard or because it's boring or because you're busy or you just don't know how to do it, I want to give you a strategy today, a really practical strategy that comes right from verse 16 to help you study your Bible. If you're a teenager and Bible study is not a regular part of your practice, I want to give you a roadmap, a strategy for doing this. Now, what I want to describe is I don't think this type of Bible study is necessarily an everyday practice for every person. I think Bible intake should be an everyday practice But Bible study of this sort might be something that happens less frequently than every day. But still, it ought to be a regular part so that we are uh, are self-feeding Christians. We we don't just rely on on what the man with the microphone says. We don't just rely on what our celebrity preachers say. But we sit down with God the Holy Spirit and we take in His words and we learn from them ourselves. Okay? Okay. So I want to get, a a pastor friend of mine showed me this a few years ago, um, how he uses the four words in verse 16 as a strategy, a roadmap for personal Bible study. Those four words that the Bible is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. If the Bible is good for those four things, then any place I sit down and read the Bible, I should benefit at least in those four ways from what I read and what I study. I should be taught something, I should be rebuked, I should be corrected, I should be trained in righteousness. And so here's your Bible study method. You're going to sit down, you're going to put your phone on do not disturb, you've got a block of uninterrupted time, you determine how long that has to be, and you pray, and you read a passage, and then you're going to work through four different questions. And it's going to start with the word teaching. The Bible is profitable for teaching. Now, I'm going to give you a different word that might help you as you roadmap this. When we talk about teaching, the Bible at a most basic level is supposed to teach us stuff, right? We ought to have a a certain base of knowledge when it comes to the Bible, what the stories are, how the book is structured, how to find things within its pages. We ought to know certain practical things about the Bible. And so if I'm going to sit down and read a passage of Scripture, I want to know what it's teaching. What is it? So just a simple summary of it. 
Who are the key actors? What's the action? What's the conflict? What's the resolution? What's, where is it happening? What's the time period? Just some real basic things so that I could say what's happening. Whenever we magic eight ball the Bible, boom, and then we read whatever we point to, we, we miss out on this. We might have something that looks good on social media, but we've lost context. We've lost the story. We've lost the people. The Bible is not like some giant collection of fortune cookies. It's, it's a narrative. It's a story. And so, first and foremost, I want to ask myself, read the passage. I want to ask, what is this passage teaching? And with my pen on paper, I want to answer that question simply, succinctly, what's it teaching? Second, I want to move on to the word rebuking. Now, the word rebuke is not necessarily a favorite one in our culture. It has these really heavy tones, but rebuke is a good word. It means this. It it means the Bible is exposing an error in my life. When someone rebukes me, they're showing me an error that I'm committing. The Bible does this also. You know, a lot of times when I read the Bible, the Bible is encouraging. Give me an attaboy or a you can do it or you're going to make it. It's okay. But more often than not when I read the Bible, I'm seeing how far apart my life is from God's will for me. It highlights errors. It's, it's not a hammer that beats me to a pulp every time I open it, but I just recognize I'm not a finished product. And I don't need the Bible to just tell me I'm doing good. I need the Bible to steer me in, away from error and towards truth. So many people treat the Bible like um, it's, it's just there to affirm our lives and, and just to give us some good positive vibes and good encouragement. But look, the Bible is not chicken soup for the soul. Uh, the Bible is radical surgery for the ills that plague our souls. And if we don't have that surgery, we die. It gives us life. So in this way, the rebuke is not a punishment. The rebuke is a grace of God to say, my child, turn away from this error and turn towards truth and life in me. So I want to sit down and I want to answer this question. After I've summarized the passage, where am I out of God's will? Is there something uh, mistaken in the way I uh, believe, the way I practice? Where is it that I'm not in line with God's will? When we ask rebuking questions of ourselves from the text, we're saying God has lines And my life is to be lived within these lines, and where it doesn't, I've got to be brought back in. So I want to know the summary. I want to know what does it expose in me. Third, correcting. What do I need to change? The original word in the Greek for correcting is only used in this one place in the New Testament, but the idea is found throughout Scripture. The word for correction can also be translated as improvement. And so once we know a Bible passage's basic meaning, and when we can identify what sin it exposes in us, then we want to find what does the Bible give us as the required change. The Bible never just says, you're bad, that's it. It always points us in the way of spiritual health, spiritual healing in Jesus Christ. So the question we might ask is, how do I follow Jesus in this area of my life? Here's the story. Here's what it says is wrong in me. And now I've I've got to find a way to walk with Jesus in this area. What does the Bible give me and point me towards? How does it change me? Last thing, training in righteousness. I would use the word action for this. This to me has a very practical feel to it. The Bible trains us 
for righteousness. Another way to say it is the Bible prepares us for every good work. That's what Paul said to Timothy here. And so, I know the summary. I know my error. I I know the correction. Now, what do I do as a result of this? How do I live different? What is the passage calling me to do? What is Jesus telling me to do in light of this passage? And so, there's the four-part method. I'm going to pray, I'm going to read, I'm going to answer the questions, and then I'm going to pray. And I'm going to go live in line with the Word of God. But here's what I want to do. I want to issue a challenge to you today. I want to issue a Bible study challenge to you for the next four weeks. Now, if you are already someone who studies the Bible, stick with it. You like your Bible study? You keep your Bible study. You do your thing. But if you are not a regular student of Scripture... This is a challenge for you. So here's what I want you to do. For the next four weeks, I want you to commit to study the Bible in this way. Use this method. Not because this is the only one, but because it's one and it might be helpful. So for four weeks, I want you to decide how many times per week you're going to sit and study the Bible. And I want you to pick an amount that's going to work for you, a goal that's attainable. You might say, I want to do 18 times a week. That's probably not realistic for anyone. And especially if you're just starting out, I want you to have a goal that's attainable so this isn't defined by failure. Maybe three times a week, maybe four times a week. I don't know what your schedule and capacity are like. But pick a few times a week, and then I want you to select the time and location. Don't just say vaguely, oh, I'm going to do that. I want you to say, on Monday before school. That means getting up early. So Monday after school, I've got to take a nap. All right, Monday evening (laughs) right after dinner. When I'm at my prime, I'm going to sit down and do this thing. Or at my lunch hour at work on Monday. You name, be very specific, where will I sit, what time will it be, what place will I be in. And then you turn off your phone, and you open your Bible, and you open your notebook, and you make sure your pen is ready to go, and you get to work. And you pray, and you read, and you answer those four questions, and then you pray again. That's your challenge. Four weeks, you set how many times per week, and let's see what God does in us and works in us as we become more and more self-feeding Christians. I want to encourage you and challenge you, remind you of this over the next few weeks, but I want you to take this serious. And if you're not a regular student of the Bible, this is a chance for you to begin to build this habit into your life and give yourself a regular audience with the God of your salvation. Why is the Bible so important? It's a guide for us for everyday life. There's a second reason Paul gives us that the Bible is so vitally important. And that second reason is this. The Bible has a message the world must hear. The Bible has a message that the world must hear. So remember there was a verb, a command that sort of dictated the end of chapter 3 to Timothy. That verb was continue. Continue in what you have learned and believed. Now, in the start of chapter 4, there's another command that drives the bus. It's in verse 2, and that command is preach. Preach the word. Now, this challenge to Timothy from Paul is really serious. And you catch the weight of it just from what Paul says in verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom. And if someone, if if brother or sister in the faith came to you and started a sentence that way, 
you would listen. You would think, man, what comes next is going to be really important. And, and in fact, what comes next is hugely important because Paul delivers it not as if it is from him, but as if it is from God. Timothy, I summon God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, here's what you have to do in the midst of all the chaos, all the crisis. you got Hymenaeus and Philetus who are after you. It, regardless of all that drama, Timothy, preach the word. When you don't feel like it, you're crushed by it, the chaos is too much, preach the word. When it's going to cost you your freedom, says the man in the jail cell, preach the word. This is your task given by God. This is what you are to do in the midst of it. Why? Because the Bible has a message the world has to hear. Timothy's mission is to proclaim Jesus and make him known. So how does that little line in verse 2, preach the word, how does that land on us as a church? Who does it apply to? Does it just apply to the preacher types? And so a non-preacher type would say, oh, this is not for me. Good, I get to skip to verse 3 and go on from there. Well, it certainly applies to the preacher types, for sure. It applies to the church, I think, in two different ways. One is it informs the church as to the type of shepherd leader we should have. Who is it that should guide us and direct us? It's, it's someone who's going to preach the word to us. When he deviates from this, then we've got to step in and do something because this is indispensable. The word must be preached. I'm grateful to walk in the shadows of men who have faithfully preached God's word here at South Shore Baptist Church. I'm grateful to be a part of a body of believers who encourage me and exhort me to this end to preach the word faithfully. We want to be a church that's known by that. But there's another way this applies to the church. I don't think this is just for the preacher types. Preach the word. We think of pulpits and stage and slacks and all of that. That's not what Paul has in mind necessarily. I think the application to us broadly is that we all are to make Christ known. We're all to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are to preach the word. That doesn't mean you're carrying a pulpit with you into work every day, but it means in your life, in your conversations, like Lois and Eunice, you are investing the Word of God naturally into the people around you, your kids, your spouse, your neighbors, your co-workers, and others. Preach the Word applies to all of us. It's just the application is going to look different from person to person. And Paul tells Timothy, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. What's Paul mean by that? We don't know. He doesn't tell us. It's a figure of speech that doesn't translate very easily. There's some guesswork as to what he might be getting at, but at the very least, what Paul is saying is preach the word all the time. Whether you feel like it or you don't, whether it's a good season or a hard season, preach the word. Proclaim Christ continually. And what are you to preach? What are you to proclaim? How do you handle this? He says you do it with rebuke and you correct and you encourage with great patience and teaching. Do any of those words sound familiar? Yeah, we just read them back up in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. 
Paul effectively takes those things that the Bible does to us in our personal study, and he says, this is the content of your proclamation. This is the impact of the faithful telling of the gospel. You're going to rebuke, you're going to expose error in people's lives. Have you ever heard that line? I know you have, that you've got you to believe the bad news before you can believe the good news. I have to know that I'm a sinner separated from God before the death and resurrection of Christ is good news to me. So we've got to rebuke when we share the word of God. We're exposing error in people's lives. And we're correcting them, calling them to change. And we encourage them. Your Bible might say exhort. We're not just swinging a hammer, but we're encouraging them gently with patience, great patience in teaching. When it comes to preparing ourselves to share our faith, we often get lost in our need for programs and elaborate strategies and outlines and things like that. Do you know what the number one way is for you to prepare to share your faith? In your daily intake of God's Word. When the Word of God works in you, teaching and correction and change and action, it's preparing you also to share those same things as you preach the Word and make Christ known. That's why Bible study is so important. My personal time in the Word prepares me to tell the wonderful story of Jesus. And Paul doesn't give these instructions in a vacuum. He, he sees that there's going to be hard days ahead. And so, again, in verses 3 and 4, he points out to Timothy, look, the time is going to come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they're going to multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. When Paul wrote this, verses 3 and 4, I don't think his intention was, Timothy, this won't apply to you, but it will only apply to 2019. Timothy already kind of lives in that world. And it's already sliding towards these really dark places. The reality is what Paul describes here is not reserved for some end day that is yet to come. We live in the end days. God's people have always lived in the last days. With this sense of urgency, Christ could come at any moment, but for now, the way we understand the world around us is this is just the way it's always been. People are going to turn to teachers that say what make them feel good and things that they want to hear. And that's what makes it so urgent and so necessary that now we would eat the word and we would proclaim the word. We would make Christ known to the people around us before they are caught in the devil's trap, as Paul said earlier in chapter 2. We want to keep them from that snare, and we do that by giving them Christ. What if we were to take our Bible study method that we've talked about this morning and apply it to this passage? What might it look like? So let's do that quickly. It, it, we're going we're to approach it from two different perspectives. And uh, it's going to show that uh, the, the result is not going to be the same for everyone. And so I, I want to start with someone who might be a believer, someone who's walking with Jesus, and they read this passage. They get to the end of verse 4, and they sit down and begin to ask themselves some questions. What's the summary? Well, the summary of this passage is Timothy's in a mess, and Paul tells Timothy, brother, in light of all of this, study the word and preach the word. Study the word, preach the word. That's the sermon in a sentence. 
Okay, so what does that expose about me? Well, uh, I don't study the Word as I ought to. My reading has been quite shallow, in fact, or just non-existent whatsoever. Uh, my error is I'm not studying. And then when it comes to proclaiming the Word, I really want to find a way out of that. It is so uncomfortable for me. I, I don't like the thought. I don't do it. I'd rather find out just to be nice and do acts of service. I want that to be enough. I don't want to have a verbal witness, but I recognize this is my error. I, I, I'm not studying as I should. I'm not sharing as I should. What's the correct change? I've got to trust in Christ who's my Savior, according to chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, and I've got to walk with Him. His Word, this inspired Word, I need to eat it, and I need to share it. I need to give it to others. What's the action it calls me to? How does Jesus tell me to live in light of this? I need to set in my life some proper systems for studying the Word better and more frequently, and I need to quit making excuses and make opportunities to share my faith with people. That'd be one way to approach this passage. Let me give you another way. What if I'm not a follower of Jesus? I'm not a believer, but I'm curious, and and still I've sat down and I've read this. I'm still going to work through these four questions. What would the outcome be? What's the summary? The summary is the same. Study the Word, share the Word. What's the error that this exposes in my life? Well, according to verse 15, the Scriptures give me wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus. So I might ask the question, do do I have faith in Jesus? I don't. How serious an error is that? It is catastrophic. According to the Bible, this what I've read said this is God's inspired word to, to die apart from Christ is a horrible thing. Uh, what, what's, what's the change? What do I need to change? Well, Timothy, obviously, he trusted in Jesus and he followed Jesus. He had faith in him. I know that's what the Bible calls me to also, is faith in Jesus. Not just to modify my behavior. I don't have to just be, it's not calling me to just give Jesus three days a week in Bible study. This is my whole life laid down for him. I'm going to turn and follow. That's the correction. I want to trust that what Jesus did in his death and resurrection is sufficient. It's enough. It saves me. That's the correction the Bible gives me in this. And then what action is going to come after that? I want to talk to Jesus. That's, that's the action here and now. I'm going to talk to him and surrender my life and say, I trust you to save me and to hold me forever. And I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to mess up a lot. I've got a lot to learn. But I just know and trust that you love me and you're not going to let me go. Why is the Bible so important? It's a guide for everyday life. And it's the message the world has to hear. And so you need to study your Bible this week. And if you're in a good season of life or a hard season of life or temptation is kicking you in the teeth, uh, or if you're just human, then you need time this week in the Word and then time to share what you've learned with others around you. Your time in the Bible is going to change your life as you study it, and it will change other lives as you proclaim it. A a pastor and writer named Jeffrey Thomas wrote a little book about reading the Bible and studying the Bible. And he says this. He tells us, go on reading the Bible until you can read it no longer. 
And then you'll not need the Bible anymore because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again read the Word of God in Scripture, you will open them to the Word of God in the flesh. The same Jesus of the Bible whom you have known for so long standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your inspired word to us today. A word that has taught us and rebuked us and it has corrected us and it is training us in righteousness. Thank you for this word that is the content of a story we have to tell that will change the lives of those who hear and believe. Let us be people of the book, not just in theory or not because a doctrinal statement says so, but because our lives give evidence. Our schedules give evidence. They bear witness to the importance of our time with you. And Lord, we don't approach this as a legalistic matter. We approach it as a gift of grace, an invitation into a conversation an invitation to life change. Lord, let us be people who self-feed on your word, that we would walk with you in obedience. God, I pray for my friends in here that don't know you as their Savior. I pray that your word is spoken clearly to them today, that they would have wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ, that they would not turn aside to uh, empty myths that just scratch at the cultural truths of the day, but rather they would set their hearts on the truth of your word. Let us live in that truth. Let us trust in the one who himself is the way, the truth, and the life, that we would know eternal life and forgiveness and that you would be glorified. Father, thank you for your word to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.